Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 12, as that will be the text of our sermon this morning. John chapter 12. You've already been there. You already know what's about to happen or should happen. Whether it's with your favorite NFL, collegiate team, whatever it might be, whether it's uh, hockey, basketball, whatever it might be, you've seen it. They should have won, but they didn't. They were so close, but yet so far away. I've thought about that. There are just some people who are striving to live for Jesus that are so close to living for Jesus, but yet so far away. In John chapter 12, we're going to be looking at some people who in following Jesus were so close but yet so far away. We know what that means. That so close is not close enough. With that in mind, let's look at our text. And let's look at the idea of the signs of the Savior. In John chapter 12 and verse 37, John tells us, in this text, that Jesus had done many signs and wonders before men. And we understand that in this gospel account that there is a a record of at least seven, if you will, seven miracles, signs, specific signs or miracles performed by Jesus. Every sign had authenticated his deity. In other words, that the miracles that Jesus performed proved that he was who he claimed to be, the very son of the living God. That's who he was, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. In John chapter 5 and verse 36, Jesus would say, For the works which the Father had given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, and that the Father has sent me. You remember in John chapter 20, 30, and 31, where John says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and upon believing you might have life through his name. The signs or the miracles that are recorded by John demonstrate the very power, if you will, that Jesus possessed as the Son of God. For example, in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, the very first miracle or sign in his ministry, it was a very demonstration of his power over matter. The same could be said in chapter 6 when he took five barley loaves and two small fish and he fed 5,000 people. 
A demonstration of the power of Jesus over distance in John chapter 4 when he healed a nobleman's son. And then there is the demonstration of power over illness and disease or sickness as evidence in chapter 4 with the healing of the nobleman's son, the healing of the man who was paralyzed in chapter 5. The restoration of the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. All of these are evidence, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter 6, we have a record of Jesus walking on water where he demonstrates his power over nature. And then in chapter 11, you have the raising of Lazarus from the dead, demonstrating his divine power over death itself. All of these signs, all of these wonders only prove what Jesus claimed to be and that was the Son of God. The evidence was before the people demonstrated not just by his miracles but also by his great message that he preached. The greatest preacher that ever lived was Jesus the Christ. And so when we think about the signs of Jesus and the purpose behind those signs and wonders... Here in John chapter 12, there is also the spurning of the Savior. In other words, these people rejected him. Listen to what John the Apostle records concerning the signs or miracles that Jesus did and the reaction of the people of that day. We look at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet... They believe not on him. Is that not incredulous to you? Here is the very Son of God. He has performed miracle after miracle after miracle to only prove and claim that claim that he is the Son of God. They had seen firsthand the divine Son of God at work and yet... They did not believe. I think about the message of Jesus. You remember in John 6 when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. And the Bible says in verse 60 of John 6, Many therefore of his disciples when they had heard this said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And John tells us in verse 66 of that chapter, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They turned their back against the very Son of God, the divine Son of God. Jesus then asked the question unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Peter spoke up and said in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I mean, there's no one else. Where else would we go? And so here's the very Son of God. He has a divine message. A divine message that he's backing up that message with many, many miracles. And, and yet John said, they did not believe in him. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet. There, there are actually two different quotations 
that Jesus had made from Isaiah. The first was taken from Isaiah 53, which as you well know, prophesied of the suffering servant, that is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. The second was taken from Isaiah 6, in which Isaiah had the opportunity to see the second member of the Godhead high and lifted up, as he would say. I want you to think about with me about Israel's calloused rejection of Jesus. Notice again in verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? But notice verse 39 of John 12, what he said. Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. What is the danger of delaying the decision to become a follower of Jesus? In the context, it is the danger of a hard heart Think about it for a moment. Here were people that had the opportunity to stand in the presence of Jesus, the very Messiah that had been prophesied, the very Son of God. They had followed him from town to town to see the good works. They had the opportunity to basically step back and and to listen to his authoritative words, No man ever spake like this man. They could take what they saw, what they heard, and then they could draw some conclusions. And yet, they didn't believe in him. My common sense says, how does that happen? How is that even believable? And as a result of that, what happened? Isaiah said, speaking of these people, just like the people of his day, their heart had become hardened or calloused, if you will, to his word. You can be so close to following Jesus, but yet so far away. Because every time you say no to the gospel of Christ, you were so close, yet so far away. What you're doing is turning a deaf ear to the one who can save you and to the word that can cleanse you. You remember in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 2 where the Apostle Paul had talked about how there would be some who would have their conscience seared or branded with a hot iron. And the idea is that their conscience no longer has any feeling whatsoever. And then in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, the writer encourages the people of that day to, to take heed 
Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, he says, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Take heed. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The longer you live in sin, the more difficult it is to be able to get out of that yourself from that lifestyle. That, my people, are people that are beyond hope. And the reason is because they have become so set in their ways and are just not opened to change. And so we think about, first of all, Israel's callous rejection of Jesus. But we notice in the second place, Israel's cowardly rejection of Jesus. Look with me at verse 42 and notice what Jesus had said, or what John says about the leaders of that day. He says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Why was that? Lest that they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. How sad is that? What's the problem here? You've got people, religious people, some who would say that the rulers here were a part of the Sanhedrin council, comprised of both Sadducees and Pharisees. But nonetheless, they were religious people, leaders among the people. They, did they believe in Jesus? Yes, they did. Did they understand the claims that were made by Jesus? I think they did. But because of external influence, they, religiously speaking, they would not confess Jesus. In other words, they would not acknowledge him at all. They would not make the decision to follow him because they were more concerned about their status as Jews. So what's the application here? Well, sometimes if we're not careful, we can bow down to the pressures that are around us. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can say we believe Jesus. But when it comes down to the brass tacks, we might not be able to stand for Jesus. You see, we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe every syllable of his word, of this book that we call Scripture. We believe it. If somebody would ask us, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Our answer would be absolutely. Do you believe that you have to follow the Lord Jesus to go to heaven? Again, our answer would be absolutely. Do you believe that you need to obey the gospel to become a child of God? Again, the answer would be yes. Are you willing to do that? No. But why? 
Sometimes it's because of external influences. These people love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were religious people, influenced by religious people. Sometimes we allow relationships that we have within our own family to control and dictate whether or not we will become a child of God. Do you know what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26? You know, Jesus understood the very power of human relationships. He understood how sometimes that we allow those human relationships to become a roadblock in becoming one of his disciples. He said in verse 26 of Luke 14, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Sometimes our alliance is so strong to our mama and our daddy that we would just not turn loose. And say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Bible says regardless. I have known people. I've known of people that have obeyed the gospel and in so doing that they have been ostracized by their family for doing so. That would be difficult. But again, it's the desire to follow Jesus, to put him first. Mom and dad can't save you. Brother and sister can't save you. Aunt and uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever can't save you. You have to save yourself by obedience to the gospel. When you think about the people of Jesus' day, the Israelite people, the Jews. John had said in chapter 1 and verse 11 that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. His own people. Received him not. Jesus came to the Jewish people and yet they rejected him. Sometimes we allow family relationships, specifically our parents or our grandparents, brother and sister, whatever, to stand in our way of following Jesus. We're so close, but yet so far away. Then I think about our peers. It might be the case that we want to become a child of God, but the crowd we run with says, you're a sissy if you do that. And nobody likes sissies. Oh, you're going to be a Bible thumper, huh? Nobody likes Bible thumpers. And then that thought in my mind says, do I really want to do that? I don't want to be labeled. I don't want that in my life. We're running with the wrong crowd of people. And they have a strong influence upon our lives. 
that we don't yield to the message of the gospel. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The American Standard Version says it like this, be not deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. If you run with the devil's crowd, what's going to happen? You're going to become one of the devil's people. There are some folks that I will not obey the gospel. They will not follow Jesus because of the pressure that is exerted on them by their friends. They get the wrong friends. I think about the words of Solomon in Proverbs 1.10 when he said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Do not consent. You must make a decision. Where is your loyalty going to lie? And then there's the third thing that I think sometimes gets in our way of following Jesus, and that is the pleasures of this earth. As Jesus would say, the cares of this world, Matthew 13, 22. Oh, the world has a strong appeal. No doubt. John identified the world in John, 1 John 2, 16 as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three avenues that Satan does everything he can to win us back. And he's got us when he got us in those three avenues. The devil knows how to entice, to bait people, doesn't he? You know it. He does a great job of it. Now here's something to think about. Can you have fun in the world? Yes. I, I can have fun. Is living in the world, is it satisfying to some extent? Yes, it is. Well, how do you know that? Well, I, because I've been there. I've, I've been there. I've been in the world and I understand the pleasures that go with the world. Did I have fun? Yes, I did. But I didn't have peace. I didn't have the peace that passes all understanding. I, I've been in the world. I, I went to bed every night with guilt. I didn't have any hope. Why is that? Because my life was not grounded in God. My life was not centered in God or on God. You cannot have peace. And I'm talking about the peace that passes all understanding in the world. You might have temporary peace. It's not long-lasting you might have superficial satisfaction, but you cannot have the peace that passes all understanding in the world in which we live. It's not there. It's just not there. You know, the Bible talks about Moses who forsook the treasures in Egypt and the pleasures of sin to associate with the people of God, Hebrews. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the world to the point that the world can have a strong grip on us. And it is so hard to let go. So hard. What you need to ask yourself is this. Where do you want to be for eternity? Where do you want your soul to live for eternity? There's only one of two places that I want to be. And that's heaven. But there's only two places that we can go. You see, the bottom line is, is when I was in the world, 
I knew I was lost. Somebody had to tell me. I knew I was lost. And so if you're in the world, you need to get out of it. But then there's the fourth thing that we can notice, and that is the pocketbook, the finances, our money. You remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9? He said, but they that which be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. While, which while some coveted after, they had erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, it was the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money that is the root of all evil. Again, in Matthew 13 and verse 22, when Jesus talked about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Sometimes that almighty dollar comes between us and our devotion to God, doesn't it? It does. It's what Paul said. It's what Jesus said. We get so caught up in what the Bible identifies as greed. And that's what controls us. Oh, it's not serving God. It's not living for God. It's about getting more. Just look at the lines at the grocery store, or the convenience store. I call them the stop and robs. But... Look at, the, look at the line and look what they're buying. Lottery tickets. If you was to go the same time every week there, you would see the same person every week at the same time. They just got paid. They got a little money in their pocket. And now they're going to separate their pocket from their money by buying lottery tickets. It controls them. It's about getting more. Well, I didn't get anything that time. I sure, oh, I got a little bit this time. That means there's hope. Even though the odds are against you so million times. It's about getting more. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things in which he consisteth, possesseth. Now, how different is that from the world in which we live? The world says you're something if you have a large bank account. The world says you're something if you have a lot of land. The world says you're something if you have a lot of power. Jesus said, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. So the people that we're talking about here, first you have a callous rejection and then a cowardly rejection. Sometimes we're afraid, fearful of simply just doing what's right. Then there's a third thing that we need to see in our text, and that is the summation of the Savior. Notice, some of the concluding statements that Jesus makes on this occasion. Back to John chapter 12. First of all, there is the statement that he makes in John 12, 46, when he said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth 
on me should not abide in darkness. You see, if you're with Christ and he's the light, as long as you're with Christ, you can see. But as soon as you separate yourself from the light, there's darkness. You can't see. That's what he's trying to tell us. Jesus came as light to dispel the spiritual darkness surrounding the world. In John 8 and verse 12, he would say, I am the light of the world, right? One of the seven I am statements in the gospel according to John. First, there is the revelation of Jesus. What about the revelation of Jesus? Have you ever thought about why did Jesus come to this earth? He tells us. In this chapter, Jesus articulates first the plan and then secondly, the purpose. Go back, if you will, and listen to what Jesus says in verse 27 of John 12. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Why did Jesus come to earth? Well, because God in heaven devised a plan to redeem the human family before the very foundation of the world. And Jesus is identified in Revelation 13, 8 as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus came to bear witness of the Father. He was the exact representation of the Father. And he would say in John 14, 9 to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The very manifestation of God the Father. Listen to what he says in John 12, 44. He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him. Who? God the Father that sent me. Verse 45. And he that seeth me, seeth him, the Father, that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Let me pause here. When Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, I want you to understand the, the world was already under judgment. It was already under judgment. The world was already under condemnation. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He was already condemned. The world was already condemned. He came to save. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 16 and 17. God had a divine plan. And the plan was for sinful human family to be redeemed by Jesus the Christ. God had a divine purpose for the coming of Jesus. What was that purpose? To be lifted up. So that people might be drawn to him, saved by his blood. And so, there's first of all the revelation of Jesus. But then secondly, there's a reminder from Jesus. 
You got to think about all the people that were present at this time. You think about all the people that had rejected the very Son of God, that had dismissed his messages. They seen what he's done. They've heard what he had to say, but they dismissed him. So with that in mind, listen now to what Jesus says in John 12, verse 48. He that rejected me, who are they to reject the very divine Son of God? He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Look at verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so... I speak. Everything that Jesus did while he was here on this earth was in absolute harmony with God the Father. No doubt about it. They work in concert or in tandem with one another. Two things here. First, in John 5 and verse 27, Jesus said that the Father has given him authority to judge the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things that are done in his body, according to that he, which he has done, whether it be good or bad. In Romans 14.11, he would say, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Christ Jesus, the very Son of God, will one day come and be seated upon the throne of glory as he outlines in Matthew 25. And then not only does Jesus talk about the word who will judge, verse 48, but about the word that will judge. He that rejected me and receiveth not my word, words, hath one that judges him. Now listen. The word that I have spoken, the saints shall judge him in the last day. What word are we talking about here? We're talking about the scripture. Scripture. The words of Jesus. We're not to be judged on the basis of our opinions. Right? It's not going to be some type of majority vote. It's not going to be on the basis of what somebody has written or somebody has said. It's going to be on the basis of what this book says. Verse 48. You remember what Paul wrote in Romans 2.2 that the judgment of God is according to truth. The question was asked in John 18.38 what is truth? Well the very embodiment of truth was standing right there when he asked that question. Pilate. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17.17 Sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth. Right? How might you be judged? Well, I'm going to be judged by what the Bible has to say. Now the question might be, how well do you know the scriptures? How well do you know this book that we call the Bible? Do you remember in Revelation 20 verse 12 when John said, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. We're going to be judged on the basis of truth. The truth of God's word. What that tells me is, is that I need to understand this book. And then secondly, my life needs to be in harmony with this book. If my life is not in harmony with this book, that means I'm in trouble. My soul's in trouble. The truth of God is the only thing that has the ability to set you free from sin. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 8, 32? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I hope that you have heard the word of Jesus this morning. Enough to make a decision right now. The very best decision that you could ever make, and that's to become a child of God. By hearing the very word of God, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. By believing that Jesus is the son of God, John 8, 24. Not only believing, but also to repent of those sins. Acts 17, 30, Luke 13, 3. Confessing his name and then being baptized in that watery grave for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, 38. Mark 16, 16, and many other verses. Why? Because you can be so close to living or following for Jesus, but yet so far away if you reject the gospel. Can we help you even this morning? We hope that we can. Maybe you're already a child of God. You wandered away back into sin. You were so close, but yet so far away. Come back. Be right with God once again as together we stand and sing.